My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer and co-host today is my husband, Pat Francis. Hi. Hi, honey. You're off to Sketchfest tomorrow. I'm off to Sketchfest tomorrow. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much for being here tonight. You're, you are welcome. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Now, before I introduce our guest, okay, all right, you got your drum roll out? Yeah, just in case? Okay. So, I want the writers who are listening to imagine that you're creating a character that has to create joy or fear or sadness in the viewer. Okay? You got it? Okay. So, now, I want you to imagine that that character must create that joy or fear or sadness without dialogue. <gasps> yes. That's I impossible. Know. I, nope. It can't be done. Well, wait, but wait, there's more. Okay? So, now... I want you to imagine that that same character who cannot speak must create joy or fear or sadness and be non-human. Now, these are the kinds of characters our guest, Doug Jones, has become known for. Hi, Doug. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm going to tell everybody a little bit more about you. Sure. Doug can currently be seen as the amphibian creature and romantic lead in the 2018 Golden Globe winning movie, The Shape of Water, which I love. I love it so much. Thank you. And you might also know him as Lieutenant Saru on Star Trek Discovery, Trekkie people. He also played both Pan and the Pale Man in Pan's Labyrinth, Silver Surfer in Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, and Abe, is it Abe? Abe Sapien. Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies. Overall, he's acted in more than 25 films, uh, many television series, including Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and over 90 commercials and music videos with the likes of Madonna and Marilyn Manson. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You didn't see that coming, did you? (laughs) Yeah, my goodness. So what am I missing there that that you you want me to tell everybody? Because there's so much, right? I've been acting for 30 years, so it's it's a lot to... to, um, encapsulate in an introduction. <laughs> it's a lot. But what, um, have you been to the Golden Globes before last week? No, that was my first time attending that particular wow. show. And it was really quite fascinating. I, uh, you know, I've seen it on TV. It's always been at the Beverly Hilton um, ballroom. And, uh, and so you know the layout of the round tables and the, all the famous people sitting up front. And I was at one of those tables. Oh, my gosh. No, it, was, it, was, it was like surreal. Was, yeah, you had surreal. A, your table. It was a good position table. We had a good spot. Yeah. We were right up next to the staircase that led up to the stage. I think that, you know, so Guillermo didn't have far to go. And he won Best Director. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Did you meet Oprah? Did you I meet did Oprah? I did not meet Oprah. She was a couple tables over and everybody wanted some Oprah. So, I, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I did, however, meet Daniel Day-Lewis. He was at the next table and I got, to, I got to grab his arms and say, thank you so much for being a skinny guy who's handsome and given all of us a, a, a hope that we're, that we're valid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh that's so nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he, he still in his costume character and basically said, like, said, oh, just get away from me. I don't like how you're dressed. <laughs> right. What is that? Yeah, no, no. He, uh, not at all. He was very gracious. Uh, yeah, and you can tell he, he feels he, he had a very calm resolve about him that like he's you know he's retired now uh, yeah, yeah he's announced that right that, that yes. was his last role he's done that before right but this t- he might mean it this time i don't know i, I don't, don't know. know i don't know i saw him play hamlet yeah um it, at the national theater um mm. when i was there in 1989 okay and uh he was Fantastic. No, breathtaking. He spit I, yeah. all over the audience, Come on. but it didn't matter. <laughs> Come on. He right. was so intense. <laughs> they loved it. You just yes. rub it in. You don't that's wipe right. it off. That's right. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Spit on me. It's okay, Dan. Ah, right. Give it to me. Yeah. So I thank you very much for being here because you have been all over town. You were just saying even this morning, God, tell everybody about your day really quickly <laughs> because it was amazing. Yeah, it was ridiculous. No, I, I woke up to a phone call at 9 a.m. from the uh, the, tele, the Telegraph in London. It was a very, very huge newspaper. I, uh, news outlet and they wanted to interview me about the shape of water and also star trek discovery uh we covered both and then 
Then I had to get to 11 a.m. I had to get to Warner Brothers to do ADR voice looping for uh, my last uh, final episode of season one of Star Trek Discovery. Then from there, I had to go, go pick up something from my manager's office. And then from there, I had to get to uh, the dentist to do a uh, root canal and a crown uh, on a tooth. <laughs> and then from there, I checked some emails. And then I came here to talk to you guys. Hi. Hi. Some people say this podcast is like a root canal. <laughs> so now you've had a little warm up for oh, it. Oh, no. I, I, having, having a recent thing to compare it to, not so bad. Aww, not so bad. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Well, thank you again for being here. You know, as I was mentioning before before we started, this is a podcast for writers. Mm-hmm. So what I'm really curious about, and I'm sure they are too, is how you take um, how you take the character description or any cues from the script mm-hmm. to bring these non-human mm-hmm. characters to life. So, what do you look for when you're first reading a script? Right. Uh, well, I'm. You mentioned non-dialogue. I, I've done both you know, over my, mm-hmm. my three-year career. I've done uh, some some creature characters that have lots of, of you know pontificating dialogue, and other cre- other creatures that uh, that never speak a word, but but still have a lot of human emotion to portray. So. Um, uh, what I look for, it, it, what I look for in a script in general, anyway, is just: uh, is it a story I want to help tell? Is it something that moves me, that entertains me, that makes me laugh or cry or something, feel something, or educates me in some way? Um, and the other, the other factors that come into that too are: who do I get to play opposite of, and what, who's going to be directing it? Whose hands am I going to be in? Are they safe? Um, all those things uh, that comes. If, if they don't have any money, those are, I have to consider all these other things. Sure. Right? Uh, so, um, so when it's a, 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 if it's a creature that's not going to speak. Then uh, the creature design wants to come into play a lot for me as well. How 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 many hours are we looking at in a day in makeup uh, application or suit uh, wiggling on, and uh, and that will be informed by the script to start with. Yes. So what makes you what as you're reading a script? Mm-hmm. How how do you kind of imagine how many layers of paint it's going to take? Right. <laughs> uh, well, so, uh, often a description. A, you know you know the, the, that uh, when a, a character is introduced in the script, like say say it's by page twenty he comes in. Uh, and then there's that nice paragraph often that I love that will give some enter the smog monster. <laughs> and they'll give a paragraph of descriptive. Uh, you know, uh, uh, he's taller than any human. He's uh, stronger than any human. Or um, uh, he, he stands uh, with an imposing uh, posture. So words, words like uh, like that, majestic uh, or uh, or uh, fearful. Like human emotion words that can be attached to a creature help me a lot in deciding if I want to play him and, and, and how to play him. I actually have. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I, I pulled some excerpts from The Shape of Water. Um, you found the script. Oh, good, because yeah. I didn't have it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got my ways. Yeah. Um, so on page 10. Okay. This is without meeting, meeting that creature yet. Okay. The cylinder shakes. Something large moves inside. It howls. A webbed hand slams against the glass. A webbed palm hits the glass. Elisa jumps, startled. So you're there. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how it played out in the film, too. If yes. you've seen it, that, that, is, that is, I can visualize the exact thing that you, <laughs> as a beautiful script to, to screen example. And it's, and it's, it is emotional. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it, that must be exciting to read as an actor because mm-hmm. right away you're active, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you, I mean, howling. Yeah. Right. Right. And why is he howling? Is he? Is there a pain involved? Is there discomfort, or is there just emotional? I don't belong here. Get me out of here. I I belong some I'm back in the river in the Amazon. Right. Right. And 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 I was able to read all that in, into that. Honestly, the the how. Yeah. Exactly. I got another one. Okay. Give, give it to me. Okay. Give it to me. Give it to me. I don't have any. So we'll, we'll go with what Pilar has. Um, so this is from page 21. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, she looks inside the cylinder. A drop of water floats in the water. She sees a figure crouching in the dark, a slender, sleek, amphibian man looking at her. Varied markings seem to glow and outline its body. Elisa's shocked but not scared. The bleeding creature makes direct eye contact with her. Its eyes kick back light like a coyote's caught in the headlights. Mm-hmm. She moves toward it cautiously. The creature hisses at it and cowers. Mm-hmm. Isn't that so cool? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, that, that tells you so much right there. And it told me so much right there. Um, I, I think that was, uh, that, and that it, it played out in the film. Now, it, from script to screen, things will change. Sure, right? of Especially, course. And, and when your director is also the co-writer of the script, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he, has, he has a lot of say on set, of course. Any director does. 
Uh, but but um, so so how that plays out? I think that's that describes when she first sees me in the the, the cylinder, the glass cylinder, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when we're face to face with a sheet of glass between us. Mm-hmm. I think that was that moment, um, because then, then then there's a second moment where we see each other in the other part of the, of the laboratory where it's the pool area where I come up out of the water and 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 I have a chain around my neck to the wall, so I can't get all the way to her. But we still have we don't have glass between us now. So that was there was it, it built an intimacy. Every every time you saw us together, it was some, a bit more connected, a bit more contact, a bit more access to each other. You know, romantic comedies do this all the time, right? Their eyes meet, mm-hmm. and you've got all of this meeting of eyes. Right. And in this case, you know, it's eyes kick back light. Mm-hmm. You know, like a coyote. Right. I love how you said that. Yeah. Well, and uh, and you know what was so great about this is that her character was mute. She spoke sign language, but she was did not speak verbal words. Um, and my character also mute because I'm an animal from the wild. They didn't speak English. <laughs> so, uh, so that look in the eye was all important with our connection, with our falling in love, our romance, um, everything, everything that was descriptive in the script about the way we touched, the way we glanced at each other, a tilt of the head, uh, uh, you know, a smile in the eyes, whatever it was, those descriptive moments were really helped us, Sally Hawkins and I connect to each other. And so when you're doing non-human characters, mm-hmm. are you looking for these human visual cues to, to, to say, well, wait a minute, mm-hmm. non-human aside, this is a human moment. This right. is what's in the script, and this is the thing that's going to help me play? Um, for me, yes, because um, I, I've, I've often said that, uh, that, a, uh, that an, it, it takes an actor to play a role, no matter if it's a guy in a T-shirt and jeans or if it's a monster with a tail coming out of his ass. I have to, I have to find the heart and soul of that, of that being, uh, his wants, his needs, his loves, his fears, his motivations, all those things. Uh, no matter if you're growling and running down a hallway or if you're having a, a paragraph of really, really heady dialogue. Um, either way, all those things have to be found. Um, so... So uh, what was the question? Well, it's like to find those human moments. <laughs> the human moments, right, exactly. So, so wanting to find the heart and soul of a monster, uh, I, I, as a human myself, that I have to uh, approach meta from a human angle. Yeah. Now, have you ever read a script where that just wasn't in there? Where, oh, I just didn't find... What... There wasn't the emotion mm-hmm. that you're looking, looking for, that you're for. hoping for, yeah. that should come out of... Like, maybe the script is really good. Maybe yeah. the story is really good. But the monster, or the mm-hmm. non-human character, I should say, not a monster, mm-hmm. um, has been underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. And where you've had to find cues and go, I'm going to develop off of this. This right. is, this is going to be my guide here. I'm going I'm to make more of, of what's in the script, even though there isn't enough of it. Right. Um, uh, that, that's with the help of a director usually. Um, uh-huh. uh, oftentimes, if, if something's lacking, I'm not really quite sure if I want to say yes to a script. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a meeting, a coffee date with a director will clear all that up for me. Uh, mm-hmm. how, wh- again, whose hands am I going to be in? How is he going to interpret this script onto film? Um, and what, what nuances and what uh, character quirks and, and, and uh, personality yeah. traits does he want to see or she want to see in my performance? Then, then I can, then I can, uh, you know, make my my notes in the margin. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, and I can, we can figure that out together. No, so let's say that that director, you're out to co- to coffee. We replace that director with a writer, mm-hmm. and the writer says, "Doug, I just want to write a wonderful non-human character for you." Mm-hmm. Okay, and you'll, you know, so we're going to make it non-human again. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and I want, I want it to be a, a character you would love. Now, mm-hmm. you, as Doug Jones, what questions would you ask the writer so that you could figure out, you know, whether or not you would take this part? Or mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is there, it, you know, is, is there something you might say first? Well, if, a, if a writer presented that, that to me, uh, that's a question to me that I would have an answer for, but more than a question, probably. Uh, I think I would, I would want to... Um, uh, just say that I would, if you want to write a monster for me, yeah, um, I would love that monster to uh, be on a ride of redemption of some sort. Even if I'm, even if I'm evil and dark to start with, if I'm intimidating or or uh, um, uh, imposing in some way, I would love for that to transition into a redemptive quality by the end, uh, where where we've learned a human lesson through my trub- troubles and toils. Um, uh, so. Uh, that's my hope. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Guillermo del Toro is a writer slash director who does that. He, he, he doesn't mind calling them monsters. He loves his monsters. He reveres his <laughs> monsters. He, like, he holds them up. 
uh, and the, the original, you know, the old, the old classics, uh, the Frankenstein, the creature from the Black Lagoon, the Mummy. Uh, um, uh, those those monsters are his loves. Yeah, he, um, yeah, his boyhood loves. So he um, he f- always found the humanity in them and and the um, the sympathy with them. Uh, those monsters in the classic tales. Um, always were put into a situation that they didn't belong in, and it was not their fault. They didn't come, you know, crashing in your bedroom window, go ah, you know. <laughs> it, 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 you know it's, it's usually humans that are doing a home invasion on them. Right. Uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon is a perfect example. He was swimming around happily in his in his world just fine until this this boat of explorer people come in and uh, and you know find him, and now now they're like ah, spear him, spear him, he's dead. Uh, and so that's why Guillermo del Toro, when he saw the creature in the Black Lagoon, he saw Julie Adams swimming at the top of the water and he saw the creature swimming underneath her, you know, discovering her, what's this being about floating above me? And he was fascinated with her in, in a very romantic kind of way. And Guillermo saw this as a six-year-old boy on his TV in Mexico and said, oh, I hope they end up together. <laughs> right? So, so when he saw the, how the movie played out, it was like he thought it was a, a grievous injustice, right? And so he said 46 years later, he's made it right <laughs> with The Shape of Water now. That's but, really cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How fun to be a, a successful director and be like, you know what? Hey, well, fun. There you go. I'm going to do it. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Pat, you're, you're like a big fan of Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, I, I love the universal, and, uh, mm-hmm. universal films. I love uh, Brad Frankenstein. It's just so fantastic. Yeah, I love everyone. And, and mm. like they always have that scene in it where you see where somebody's misunderstood, like the classic yeah. Frankenstein with mm-hmm. the little, the girl. little blind girl scene, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You yeah. just feel, yeah, you feel there's, there's always, always one scene or two scenes where you feel sympathy, like Doug said, for the monster. Mm-hmm. You just feel bad. You're like, oh. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that, that will, that will rope me in right there. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and, and can an audience... And I, I put myself in an audience position when I'm reading a script as well, because I want to be entertained by the script. By the time I close the final page, I want to I want to go yes, you know. <laughs> uh, so so for me, uh, have have I has that script has that story empowered me to face the monsters in my own life if they're evil, and and has it has it has it educated me uh, that, that maybe maybe the monster that I feel like I am in my own body maybe that's maybe my flaws are where my beauty lies. That kind of thing, and that's what Del Toro has been just so glorious at writing for me. As uh, not only sort of taking on maybe you know dealing with your own personal mm-hmm. demons and way of, of looking at <laughs> right. at yourself, but I would also imagine some of these characters represent um, s- certain people in society on mm-hmm. the fringes, sure, right? Of course. And yeah. do you ever have you felt with any characters that? one or more of those characters sort of represented was representing something in society and, and mm-hmm. the, the director was trying to, to get out there. Maybe not always overtly, but, 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 you know, once it's finished and done, you can go, Oh, well, there's a, there's a parallel right there. Hello. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, when you look at Pan's Labyrinth, uh, 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 which I was also on, I played the, the fawn and the pale man, as you said earlier, um, uh, between that movie and the shape of water as well, the, the similarity between the two is that there is an underdog that is that is an innocent that is that that we the audience you find rooting for uh you you're wanting them to overcome the authority figure that's getting it wrong um and the authority figure uh uh, uh you know um, uh, is is the one that, that might look like the hero the handsome guy who's like hey got it all together and then the 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 our our our, our real hero in the story is is you know the, uh, in pan's lab that was an 11 year old girl and in, in the shape of water, it's a mute janitor lady, in a, in a, you know, who cleans up at night. Um, not your typical heroes that in the, the older stories, but um, uh, but when, as they as they o- overcome their obstacles and um, and and find the strength within them, find the beauty within themselves, uh, uh, you know, they come out on top by by kind of showing, sh- exposing, uh, sh- shining a spotlight on, on the authority figure and what they're getting wrong to the world. And, uh, and then everybody can't help but go, yeah, you go girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now when, when you're physicalizing, um, these characters, mm-hmm. um, for, for writers, do you think there are certain, um, what parts of the body should they be emphasizing a little bit more to bring out the, the kinds of emotion 
that you need as the actor. So like, for example, should it be eyes because mm-hmm. they're so expressive? I notice you do a lot of things with hands. So <laughs> would it be claws and limbs? Like, are there certain, because you don't want to, you don't want to describe everything about a creature. Then you're doing the creature's you're doing the creature shop's job, the makeup people's job, things like that. Right, right, so, right. but if are there specific um, parts of the body that you think would be good to bring out in character description for these eyes? In, in, absolutely, eyes. Even if they're fake and they're uh, mechanically operated up here on my forehead, <laughs> it, it once in the monster suit, um, I, uh, eyes are are uh, truly the window of the soul, and and they convey so much. Um, um, and uh, not the elbows. I wouldn't describe the elbows and what they do necessarily. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, and 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 that's a mis- uh, a misconception that like, oh, I, you know, I've got I, I can do this with my arms. I'd be a great monster actor. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, you need to channel channel other things. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, uh, when it comes to describing a monster or, or a creature, and and uh, and yeah, I think like those human words we we're talking about, like because uh, uh, I've played I've played. Uh, well, for instance, in Hocus Pocus, I was Billy, Billy Butcherson, the, the zombie boy who, mm-hmm. who, who wakes yeah. up after 300 years. Um, there was a goofiness to him and a, and a, and a, and a, a whimsy to him. It was a, it was a, com- it was a Disney comedy movie yeah, yeah. for kids. So, uh, but, um, but he, uh, he also was described as kind of like handsome, kind of like a, an, age, an aged rock star. Uh, so that's why I had that, that long hair, that long ponytail, and that my long coat and, and kind of a high collar. And I kind of had a David Bowie kind of a look about me yeah, as a yeah. zombie. Um, and, and that, that was kind of, uh, uh, you know, scripted and also Kenny Ortega, our director really took that and, and ran with it. Um, so, uh, yeah, without knowing it, I became, I became a lot of little girls, first screen crush <laughs> and I, well, I, I'm hearing it now. I have I, to uh, say, you're probably a lot of older girls <laughs> crush right now. No, now with the shape of water. Shape I, of water. You're like this really, you're a sex symbol. Well, and you know, what's funny is that we've been doing a lot of screenings around town, uh, both here and in New York. Uh, you know, for all the voting members of whatever academy that might be voting for um, different award shows, and um, in the in the mix and mingle period after the screening, I've been, <laughs> I, I have been getting um, mauled <laughs> by middle aged women, especially. <laughs> It's you know it's and it's not not the young girls. Pan's Labyrinth was the younger younger girls who are finding themselves and wanting to find their voice. Right. This is um, women who have already been established in life and already lived a lot, who who th- who find out from watching the movie. Wait, I still have a voice yet to find even for the next half of my life. I oh, have I have I have more to say, I have more to be. I have I can reinvent, I can redefine. Uh th- they're finding a real connection with Sally Hawkins' character who is, you know, in her early 40s in real life. So mm-hmm. uh so so I'm I'm finding uh that that middle-aged women are really connecting and, and wiping tears away and wanting to hug on me after after the movie's over. <laughs> now get in the suit and get in the bath. Yeah, yeah, Come let, on. Let's have a swimming lesson. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> get, get, get in the tub. Get in the tub. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> That's kind of cool though that you got to have you you get to have these love scenes. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, when you think about, oh, I, you know, I get to, I'm being this this creature from the Black Lagoon. You don't think mm-hmm. that you'll end up like, right. You know, right. And I think that's what make parts of what makes it so special. Well, and Guillermo, Guillermo did, uh, uh, you know, drive home with me when he when he offered this part to me and was telling me about it. We, and he told me about it. We were working on Crimson Peak at the time. I've done six movies with him and also his TV show, The Strain, uh, over the last twenty years. So, and in that of uh, twelve creatures out of all those projects, so I did double duty in in, in more than one thing. But when we were working on Crimson Peak. I had a day off, and he called me into his office at lunchtime uh, on that day off and said, Dougie, shut the door. I want to tell you about the next thing. <laughs> so that's when he told me about the shape of water, and I want, to play, I want you to play the creature. He didn't have a script written yet. It was all in his head still. Wow. And, and uh, so he's, he said, I want you to play the creature. And the reason I'm asking you in here this early, this is January of 2014, so it's been a while. He said, it's because I, I know you're a good Catholic boy, and, uh, you know, there's, well, there's a love scene and. And I said, oh, how, how bad could it get? Uh, well, yeah. I, I said, is, are they going to go at it doggy style? He said, well, no. <laughs> said, no, uh, it's going to be in a bathtub. And so I, okay, let, uh, Guillermo, start at the beginning and get me to the tub. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that's when he described the whole story to me, uh, you know, that... Um, that it was going to be, uh, you know, the, the 1962 uh, government facility, and, and I've been, I've, I'm an asset who was acquired in the a- Amazon, 
and uh, that, uh, that the cleaning lady is one who falls in love with me. The night shift cleaning lady uh, makes a connection with me, and then now she's overhearing what the scientists are talking about while she's cleaning up, and, uh, and when she hears that, that the experiments are going to take me to my death, she's now connected to me, and she, she's been visiting me on her late-night lunch breaks and that kind of thing. And, uh, and so, so then she devises a way to kidnap me, uh, help, help me escape and get out of there in the laundry cart. So... so and we end up at her apartment, and where do I live but the bathtub? And I'm like, ah, oh, we got to the bathtub. Okay. <laughs> so so then, uh, then I, by, by the time we got there, I'm thinking, no, the good Catholic boy in me is, is really pleased with the innocence of this story. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't, I don't even think the Bible itself has a protocol for animals in the wild getting married first. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I think it's okay. Yeah. And I think, I, think, I think The Shape of Water has a love scene, not a sex scene. Right. Correct. It's romantic. Yeah, it's romantic. Absolutely right. Right. Yeah. There, there was a romance to it all. And, and again, uh, uh, having to fall in love without speaking a word to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the, those cues were all, uh, well, were all given to us through, um, uh, through, we had rehearsal time ahead of time as well. Uh, for, there's a, there's a fantasy sequence where she goes uh, she starts singing to me in a, in a musical number and we dance together and like a, because uh, her character in the movie uh, uh, watches old old classic musicals with her next door neighbor Richard Jenkins uh, and they uh, they watch old classic uh, that's really temple scene right? right exactly dance numbers and singing numbers so when she's trying to convey to me uh, we're sitting at the kitchen table and she's uh, she's made more eggs for me because I love hard boiled eggs apparently by this time. <laughs> Uh, and so, uh, uh, and so she, she's trying to, to tell me how much she loves me and sign language, and I don't understand sign language. All, I know a couple of words that she's taught me in sign language, but not much. And so she's trying to say it and she's shaking her hands and she's trying to sign to me and I'm not getting it. And so then she, the lights change and the music starts and she starts singing in a really meek little voice. That for the first time you hear her, her voice, but it's all in now, now because the lights changed, it, it indicated a fantasy uh, uh, moment. And she stands up and, and then starts singing louder and more grand until her arms spread. And then the lights really change. And now we're all of a sudden we're in black and white and we're in an old musical like at MGM. <laughs> and we've got shiny floor, we've got twinkly lights and they're reflecting. It's Ginger Rogers, it's Fred Astaire. All right, you know. And so that dance number had we had to rehearse that because neither one of us was a dancer. <laughs> so um, uh, we um, so during our rehearsal, we about three weeks before the cameras rolled, we had time to rehearse together and get to know each other. And during those rehearsals, you're building trust. You're doing spins and lifts together. And then during your break time, or uh, you're sitting on the dance floor, just kind of jabbering and laughing and crying together and sharing secrets and insecurities. And we were both felt very vulnerable. But this movie, it meant so much to each of us. And we wanted to we wanted to please Guillermo to make you know make sure he was getting what he needed from us. And both like thinking we can't do it. And you know, so we shared all that together. That by the time the cameras rolled, we had a trust and an affection for each other that was true. That was true and real. And what we found was both Sally and I that. Words, words with between humans in real life. Words can deceive. Words can lie. Words can can be dishonest. But a look in the eye and a touch of the hands, a touch of the face when you cup someone's face, that you can't lie through that as easily anyway. You know, uh, those things are so pure, and that's how we fell in love with each other. Was was through those those moments that were in the narration part between the dialogue. How, how, what a lovely story. Yeah, that's really nice. But also a really good lesson for screenwriters, too, because we often talk about how the dialogue itself, mm-hmm. people lie their way through entire movies sure. or TV shows sure. because they don't want to give away what's really going on. Mm-hmm. So a mm-hmm. writer needs to give away the emotion in the scene direction in mm-hmm. what's between the lines Great. and uh, and and not rely on dialogue because right. it will not tell you the story. Right. right so right. that's really cool that, you know, you're just playing what's between the lines because there are no lines. Didn't have any lines. That's right. <laughs> so uh, that said, do you like doing dialogue too? Oh, I do. Of course I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I'll tell you what, though, on Star Trek Discovery now, the, the TV series I'm on, um, yeah, it's science talk. It's like it uh. is bridge babble, science speak, tech talk. Oh, my gosh. And it comes in paragraph form where, you're, you know, you're describing something and it's like words that you don't have makes no sense to you at all. 
Uh, so, you know, so getting that from the page into me and onto film is quite a process that, that is exhausting. And, and <laughs> you're very Spockish, right? He's in your character. A, so there's a certain kind of emotional uh, or non-emotional quality. Well, uh, I have more emotions in my, I'm a Kelpian. And so I, I, oh, my, sorry. my species has, <laughs> right. Yeah, he, 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 right, he's a Vulcan. I'm a Kelpian. Yeah, let's, mm, uh, right. yeah, he's emotion free. And I, I do have a full range of emotions where that it will set me apart, but I do have the Spock sort of position in the bridge and, and, mm-hmm. and, the, and he's the, he's the one who doesn't look like everybody else on the bridge. And mm-hmm. he's the one who, who, um, is quirky, funny without trying to be, you mm-hmm. know, that like, kind of like thing. the joke is sometimes because he doesn't quite understand the right. nuances uh, right. a little because right. he's Kelpian, man. Right. Give right. him a break. Right. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I am the first Kelpian. I'm the first Kelpian, uh, of my, of my species. I'm the first of my species to, uh, go through Starfleet Academy and, and, uh, and end up on a ship as a high ranking officer. So that's, uh, that, that's, I have a lot to prove. And uh, and I have been written with uh, with with just glorious dialogue that, that's very uh, he's he's very articulate he's very uh, smart and um, so and my, my his grammar is perfect and mine mine always isn't but his is and uh, uh, and he's uh, I, I so I love him he's he's really endeared himself to me very very quickly uh, reading reading the first script uh, the for the pilot I fell in love with him immediately and um, and and I. For me, as an actor too, um, when I read a character, uh, I, I kind of think of it the other way around. Instead of me playing him, I would like to. My decision to make is: Do I want to open myself up and invite him in to play through me? Because uh, I, because I, I, because if a script is written well, that character has such a life of his own that I want to be a part of, as opposed to the other way around. You know what I mean? I, did you have to watch every single Star Trek? No, well, there's no, there's no you can't. <laughs> right, <laughs> you right. can't catch up now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would take forever, uh, but I, uh, no, I, I've been, I was a casual fan. Uh-huh. Um, uh, now the, I was born in 1960, so I, I saw the first original series, um, on network television with my family and its first network run. So there you go. Uh, so you, it was a part of my childhood and, and a part of like, Oh, what's possible in the future? And like, all those wondrous things that Star Trek is. And then throughout the years, um, of course, I'm a channel flipper, so I would land on Next Generation. I would land on Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. Voyager, Enterprise, and and then all the movies we would see in the theater. Mrs. Laurie, my, my, my lovely wife, Mrs. Laurie, she's the Trekkie in the family. Oh, really? Oh, 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 so was she so psyched when you oh got this? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. You're going to do what? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, after being an actor for 30 years who's worn lots of rubber makeups, including lots of aliens, I was also an alien on Falling Skies for three years on TNT, and... And, and other, I've done aliens in TV commercials and sitcoms. And I've, I've been aliens all over the place. Uh, uh, so you would think that I would have done a Star Trek something by right. now. Sure. So now that I'm 57, I can finally say, yes, I am in a, I'm in a new Star Trek series. I wanted to ask you, when you read, when you, when you get this script and it's describing this creature and you form a picture in your mind of what you think mm-hmm. the creature is going to be, mm-hmm. but then you really don't know until you don't know until you're in the makeup chair and you well, look uh, up. Yeah, actually I'll, I, uh, I do know I'll, I'll go to the creature effects shop. That's going to be de- designing okay. the pieces that go on me. Uh, I have to do lots of pre-fittings and that kind of thing. I, it takes months uh, uh, for, for bigger movies, especially when they have the budget and the time you'll be, you'll be going in months and, and multiple visits to that creature shop. So uh, what I like to do first, before I say yes to a script, I also want to ask, do they have any concept drawings yet? Oh, nice. And if they have a concept drawing, I can tell from that drawing, okay, oh, okay. And if the script describes him as seven feet tall, I'm six, three and a half. So that might mean, you know, lifts in the shoes, stilts. Like in Pan's Labyrinth, he was, the fawn was seven feet tall. Well, I was up on, I was up on, you know, stilt uh, uh, riser things that clumped around. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be a part of the, okay, a part of the discomfort, a part of the, how do I get around? Oh my gosh. Uh, and, uh, um, and, you know, it might, it might describe, in Pan's Labyrinth, for instance, the fawn was, part goat, part man, part tree. Those things were all indicated in the script and the narrative uh, uh, narration. And so I, um, so I, I knew that it was going to be a, a hybrid being of sorts, yeah. uh, which Del Toro loves doing. He loves the hybrids. I, I've been a fish man for him twice now. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> you're like, a fish man again? Is that like how your conversations go? Come on. Come on, right? <laughs> and uh, as you were talking, I was, I was realizing you are, his, you are De Niro to his Scorsese. 
Well, yeah, I, I would love to think so. Yeah, My goodness, those you are guys great have just, names. Yeah. just been working together six yeah. times. That's incredible. Yeah. And his maybe his depth to my uh, the, the, the you know uh, Tim Burton. <laughs> right? I don't maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Know. Um, what is more? What's more? What's more exhausting to you? Um, a role where it is emotionally exhausting or physically exhausting? What right. taxes you as it's, a as a human being? That's a great question, because because uh, because both types of fatigue are fatiguing. <laughs> they really are. Um, in, in like, for instance, in the shape of water, as, as a most recent example, without one word of dialogue, I didn't have mental fatigue as much as I did. I mean, it was a very physical job for me. I mean, I was in, I was in a full rubber transformation suit from head to toe and I had to be in real water sometimes or shooting dry for wet where there, where we're hanging from wires, hip harness wires and um, and with a smoke filled studio where they were doing a lighting effect and and but but all the pressures on my hip bones and it kind of hurts and you know those kind of things so um so a lot was de- a lot was required of me physically for the shape of water and so getting through the day and acting as though this is my ecosystem i i live in this body all the time of course i'm a fish man so <laughs> so putting aside all of my human discomforts and trying to channel that that beast from the wild uh, uh, that's extremely taxing. Um, Star Trek Discovery, as the other most recent example, is the brain weariness. Oh my gosh, when you're doing, uh, when you're given a television, much faster turnaround, uh, much uh, faster schedule. And, and what, what will often happen, uh, at least in season one, where we would be finishing up episode four and getting a script for episode five that same day that starts filming tomorrow. Wow. Right. And that, that's what happened for me. Episode five of Star Trek Discovery uh, was very Saru heavy, my character. And I was in five scenes with heavy dialogue the next day. Oh, and I was boy. given the script while I'm still finishing up episode four. So I had to, at lunchtime, rifle through the script as fast as I could, uh, you know, 40-some pages. And then, uh, and then that night, kind of like, what scenes are we doing tomorrow? Oh, my gosh. So repetition, repetition, fear, fear, fear. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm going to die. That kind of thing. So, uh, so anyway, we made it through somehow and I asked for cue cards for the first time in my entire 30 year career uh, on that episode on that day, because but it was just one line in particular that, that was, what was it? it was, I was, I was, I don't remember. I don't remember now. I had a cue card. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I was, <laughs> uh, Captain Lorca was in captivity on a Klingon ship and Admiral Cornwell had just, um, uh, um, hologrammed in to tell me what was going on. And I'm, I'm the first officer now, so I'm next in command. So that means she's telling me the ship is yours until we can find Lorca. Uh, and he, so let's get the plan underway. So she, her hologram goes away and immediately I have to bark orders oh. you know, to Lieutenant so-and-so and, com- and Lieutenant Commander so-and-so and hee-ha-hoo-ha. And they all have funny names. <laughs> so, and, right, so once you get past the funny name, it, it, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, yeah, it was it. Um, I'm looking at one of our one of our front uh, uh, young ladies who runs one of the consoles in the front. Uh, she's the con officer. Of the and I said, uh, and her name is Lieutenant Awashakun. <laughs> right. So once you get that out of your, and, she, and it was one of our and it was one of her first episodes on. She'd only been on the show for like three episodes by that point. So I hadn't really said her name ever. So I'm like, how do you pronounce that? So once I get past uh, Lieutenant Awashakun, do something. I didn't. I had no idea what to say. I kept forgetting this paragraph that came after that of like very specific instructions that involves like some coordinate and some speeds and some, you know. Just, just say switch to warp speed. Just that, That's all you have to do. <laughs> yeah. Like whenever you're stuck, well, just no, but no. Some, but see, the, the Starship Discovery has something that goes beyond warp speed. Uh-oh. Okay. God. I don't want to spoil anything for no. you. That yeah. sound, just sounds like bragging. Right, right, right. <laughs> so so, so uh. the, the TV schedule for writers is, is uh, they don't sleep. They right. do not sleep. Um and uh, and I don't I you know I don't I don't uh, begrudge them at all. Uh, but but as an actor too, working in conjunction with those writers, when they give you a script that late, it's just everybody everybody is losing sleep and everybody is is stressed out to the max. Well, you don't have to worry about bags under your eyes. No, so that's you one good thing about right, having five layers of makeup on. That's exactly. Right. I can age with my job. I yeah. also put five layers of makeup on, but I you right. know for different reasons. That's just to go to Ralph's. Exactly. <laughs> what um what Doug Jones movie would you recommend that people see? in which we can see your sweet face. My face. Oh, yeah. uh, I, can, I have a couple. Um, uh, this is a common story that will happen. About, you know, a lot of writers that I meet want to know how, how do I get a script to you and how do you get an actor to say yes to your script, right? Uh, this is a perfect example. The movie's called My Name is Jerry. 
and it's actually uh, uh, watchable and available on YouTube. But I think you have to sign in with your account uh, okay. uh, to um, to watch it because it did, never got a rating from the MPAA. So, uh, so uh, it, but it's not dirty at all. It's, it's very G-ish. Uh, okay. um, but it just never got the, the, the proper rating. So, um, but my name is Jerry is on YouTube for free in its entirety. Um, so, uh, but the story began with uh, a, a young film student that was going to the New York Film Academy out here in LA. And uh, he got a hold of manager Bruce and, <clears throat> and said, I, you know, I want, I would love to have Doug Jones in my thesis film do a cameo. Well, you know, uh, so they sent, uh, uh, I, I always ask, I want to see the script. I want to see what we're seeing. No to yes or no to, uh, so they forwarded along to me. I read it. It was kind of goofy. And again, I, um, it, it was goofy and fun and, and, and wacky and bizarre. And, uh, uh, and, but it had, but it had a, an intelligence to it that wasn't just bizarre for the sake of bizarre. So I said, I would love to have a coffee date with this young director and, and find out more about him and, you know, and what's he going to do with this. And that's when I met Morgan Mead at, at Priscilla's coffee shop in Burbank. And we talked for three hours. Wow. Uh, and during this time, it's like, I, 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 I heard his wacky sense of humor. I saw his sincere heart. I saw his, um, his, his, uh, his love and his passion for, for, uh, filmmaking in general, writing and, and uh, directing. <clears throat> and uh, so I, by the end of this coffee date, I said, not only do I want to do this short film for you, but I want to do anything else you ever do in your oh, career. Nice. So we did that short film. He finished film school. He went back home to Indiana, where I come from as well. And he uh, then sent me a script one day and said in an email, uh, it said, I don't know if you want to have a look at this or not, but I wrote it for you. And by now he knew me and he mm-hmm. knew my personality. And so he wrote the role of Jerry with uh, with me in mind. So it was a middle-aged white guy going through a midlife crisis, uh, and w- which I am and have done. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I totally got Jerry right away. And he wrote him with a, with a quirky, uh, you know, kind of uh, gangly, out-of-sorts presence about him, which I uh, just loved, that that could be the centerpiece of a movie. He wrote a, a leading man role for a character guy, you know. And and what what I would what I loved the audience to understand and get from this, which I think you do when you watch it, is that you don't have to be the a handsome like romantic lead that every every man and woman in the world wants to have sex with. Uh, you can uh, all of us, no matter what we look like, if we're if we're um, you know four feet tall and three hundred pounds, we're still the leading character in our own life, right? So so Morgan wrote a story where I could be a a six foot three, hundred and forty pound, gangly, not all that attractive middle aged man, and still be the the leading man in my life. And so he told the story from that perspective. It was beautiful. I loved what he did with that. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, and I ended up the character of Jerry connects with um, a, a set of young people that are in their twenties that kind of help him, you know, kind of find an appreciation for rock music and, <laughs> you know, and dressing differently and all that. And then meanwhile, uh, there's a parallel story going on with his daughter who's around the same age uh, and she's been out of his life after the mom and dad divorce. <clears throat> she's back in his life now uh, and it's really, really rough and, 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 and disconnected. So his connection to these young kids that are, that are helping him be hip really informs how he can connect with his daughter. Oh, that's and great. That's the lesson he learns by the end. And so I loved the story. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. So my name is Jerry. So my name is Jerry on YouTube. Yes. And there is Nosferatu mm-hmm. that just went into the can, right? Yes. And when, so you're Nosferatu. I'm, yes, Count Orlock, okay. uh, a.k.a. Nosferatu. I have a question for, 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 for Pat and for you. Okay. Because, again, you, you love old-timey um, horror. Yeah. What? Is the difference between Nosferatu and Dracula? They're both vampire dudes. Mm. Are they depictions of the same person, or are they completely different vampires? You, you can probably address the history of this, right? I'll bet. I I'll bet. bet I can't. Yeah. Oh, really? really? <laughs> <laughs> because there was a lawsuit. Apparently, uh, uh, there was only one copy of the Nosferatu original silent film from 1922. Only one copy in existence. Uh, of course, it's been recopied since then. But mm-hmm. when they found that, it's because the owner of the uh, Dracula property, I think it was Bram Stoker's wife, daughter, some, I'm not sure uh, when Nosferatu was made. Uh, uh, if you watch the old Nosferatu movie in, in the, the dialogue cards that show up, it's a silent film, right? So when uh, he was referred to as Dracula at one point in that film. Uh, so anyway, it was a, it was a, a copyright infringement kind of a thing. Sure. And so that's why the, 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 the Bram Stoker uh, uh, estate brought it down and, and had all the copies destroyed. So somebody saved one somewhere, thank heaven. Uh, 
so, uh, so you know, of course, the, the title changed, and it, it was not called Dracula. But it, it's a different. It's a different vampire. Dracula had a had a had a handsome seduction, seductive quality about him. Nosferatu is disgusting and old, and and, and he's, he's 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 like he is a monster. Um, so and that's why I liked him better. By the way, I really wanted to play Nosferatu more than Dracula. I, I, but that's been a lifelong dream of mine. Uh, after seeing uh, uh, the Nosferatu movie, the original. Uh, Max Schreck's portrayal was just so gorgeous, and and uh, you know, the movie was kind of ahead of its time, I thought, and um, uh, and so I thought it, if you would ask me five years ago, is there is there any creature or monster you haven't played yet that you would love to? Uh, yes, it would be the classic vampire Count Orlock. Uh, in, wow, in I would have said that, and so unbeknownst to me, um, David Lee Fisher, he was our writer director. He had also written and directed a remake of uh, uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is a silent film from 1919 of German Expressionism at its, at its birth. Um, and, um, and he, uh, he uh, cast me as Cesare in uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari um, back in 2005 when we filmed uh, 04, maybe it came out in 05. Um, and uh, so what he had done is he, uh, the reason I'm going back in time is because he did the same process with Nosferatu. What he already did and accomplished and is out there is this. Uh, it, he didn't do a remake; he did a remix. So he took the old film and digital. He's a he's a visual effects guru. He took the old film, removed all the actors from it, filmed us on green screen, and plopped us in it. So it's a combination of old and new. That's why he calls it a remix. Wow, wow. that's amazing. Wow. Right, right. So so now we did have uh, foreground things, like furniture, chairs, props, that kind of thing, uh, but but there was a green screen element to every shot of the movie because of he wanted to incorporate the old film and the old set pieces and the old, you know, the old... And he did the same thing with the cabinet of... Yes, he did that already with the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And and that's how Nosferatu's done also. Nosferatu with 10-year better technology now. It's 10 10 years, you know, later uh, that we made this. And so... um, so it's uh, it's it's seamless and gorgeous and uh, and it, he had more of a budget this time so we could build more sets and 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 do more things but there was a green screen element to all of it that so, it incorporated some of the old film that oh, must get excellent. you back to your roots as an actor oh my gosh yeah well to to um to be able to play that 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 silent film sort of style now we did it with dialogue as a talkie so it was a a, a, a talkie with sound um so so he did uh he did a, a screenplay adaptation of the original silent film basically right so uh the dialogue that he wrote for this um was not a reinvention or a reimagination or a taking it one step further. He wrote that original story that you saw. So he took all the visuals off of the uh, silent film and put it into a movie with sound and dialogue. And he did a beautiful job. And he did it with Caligari as well uh, and Nosferatu. He did that both times. And, and he just really did a great, beautiful interpretation of what that film, what you were missing. You know, when you watch the silent film, you see a dialogue card every so often. You, know, you see actors like shaking their hands and moving their faces and moving <laughs> their eyebrows up and down for minutes. And then the dialogue card says, yes, mother. Like, nah, he said more than that. Didn't he? <laughs> right. so, so David Lee Fisher really wrote, uh, uh, he took the emotions and the, and the and the the visual interactions that were happening between characters, and he really uh, you know put the dialogue in that was necessary and left it out when it wasn't necessary, right? So we could still play a lot visually. And when can we see this? I know, right? Uh, so um, uh, we just did pickup shots for it a couple a few months ago. Uh, so now because every shot involves a green screen element, and, and it's an indie, it's, so it's done on the on an indie budget. Um, uh, it's in, it's in uh, it's in the public domain now. That's why anybody can make one. <laughs> so, uh, but he uh, because of that, um, the uh, like I said, every frame of the movie has a degree green screen a VFX element to it. So it's going to have to take time uh, without without um, Weta Digital to work on it without that budget. So um, so it's going to take all the way until about I guess he said Aprilish this year to complete the movie. And then, uh, so then, and, and apparently, but, you know, thank heaven for all the press I've been getting for The Shape of Water and for uh, uh, Star Trek Discovery this year, because every distributor in town wants it. Oh, everybody, everybody, so cool. everybody oh, wants it. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, so so there, there's a, he's got his pick of, of, of ways to get it out there. That's so wonderful. I'm not sure exactly what format you'll see it in first, but ho- I, we were hoping to do a theatrical run that might be in conjunction with a digital dis- uh, a release. Um, so that the theatrical run, hopefully, 
it might be, of course, limited release, I think, but in, in, if we can play older movie houses across the country and maybe even do like a weekend at a time where I can go to that, that old movie house and do a Q&A afterwards and do a poster signing in the lobby, yeah, I, would be love, I would love that. Yeah, yeah that would be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everybody, uh, when Nosferatu does come out, yes. everybody rush to it because, yes, it is starring Doug Jones, who you heard here and have fallen in love with. No. Um, uh, everybody go out and see Shape of Water right now because if you don't, all your friends will be like, oh, you haven't seen The Shape of Water? It's like only the best movie ever. <laughs> so go see that, okay? Because I'm sure it will be up for lots of Oscars. Well, Variety Magazine just today said uh, that we, we are positioned to, to, have, uh, to, to have the most nominations this year. You know, I, so, I vote for that. You, I vote for that. I yeah. really, really loved it. We saw we saw a lot of movies at one time, right? Yes. And my cynical husband Pat over there, he was like, <laughs> "Sure, didn't you go like that is a movie?" Like, that yeah, was I was. It, it it's got. I, like I tell people, I go if if someone told you this on on paper, you'd go, "That's not good. doesn't make sense. It doesn't not, yeah, not yeah. And it's not going to work." Right. Everything works. Yeah. yeah. Every little uh, piece of it works. Guillermo del Toro himself has said, "This is his love letter to cinema." Excellent. It's amazing, and it does. It involves so many genres. You've got you know history, love story. You've got a little science fiction, a little bit of monster movie, a little horror movie, um, period piece, uh, political drama. Uh, you know, of the day. Uh, good gosh, it's it's got so and, and musicals. It's it's a and very musicals. it's shot like a musical movie. It's got such a, a love for cinema. And so, Richard Jenkins. And, and Richard, Richard Jenkins. <laughs> yes. So rush out and see it. Um, are you somebody who tweets or has? I do. Oh, uh, really? you, you can find me on all the social medias under at actor Doug Jones. Excellent, excellent. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. And Pat, where can people get in touch with you? Um, at Pat underscore Francis, or my podcast is at Rock Solid Show. I will be at. Sketchfest this weekend uh, on the 20th um, at 4 o'clock at Cobb's Comedy Club, and I will be interviewing live Mr. Rick Springfield. <laughs> so you just sounded like me at 12. That's where you can right, find yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv to check out the in-person classes and writing marathons at the studio, the recorded classes, a bunch of episodes of the podcast that you might not have heard, and the Patreon page where you can support the show to receive goodies. If you check out the calendar on my site, you'll also see links to international classes. Check out the two-day TV class in March in London, and that's on the calendar. Also, right now, I'm signing people up for the February 11th TV class. It's all day long, Sunday, February 11th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. with Carol Kirshner coming in for the very last hour to talk about the business. So I'll, uh, I'll help you through that series and TV pilot, and she will give you all the information you need about the business of TV. So again, I want to thank my guest. You were so wonderful, Doug Jones. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on your Alabama win. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that was a confusing hashtag. <laughs> like, oh <my> <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had to say it, you right? Did. You had to. No, you had to. to yeah. so, it was your responsibility. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. I was, I was going to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to Pat again for co-hosting. And thanks to all of you for listening. Have a good writing week. 